Welcome to Test and Code. Anthony Shaw is the Group Director of Innovation and Talent Development at Dimension Data. On today's show, we talked to Anthony about how to deal with testing in a DevOps situation and also testing in Agile teams. We also talk about his experience in implementing a change to PyTest recently. Before we start, I'd like to thank everybody that supports the show through Patreon. Um, I also want to thank people that are continuing to buy the book Python Testing with PyTest, which also supports my continued efforts in this podcast. I really love it when I see reviews. I want to pull out an excerpt from one of the reviews. This is from Patrick Kennedy, um, and it was just put up in March. Cool. Um, Here's an excerpt. I learned so much about using PyTest for testing Python projects from this book. I had previously I had previous experience using the built-in unit test module in Python, but I had not used PyTest prior to reading this book. After hearing lots of great things about PyTest, I wanted to learn about this testing framework, and this book is exactly what I was hoping for. I've since taken this knowledge and applied it to testing a Flask web application. Excellent book, and I highly recommend it to anyone wanting to learn about PyTest. It's my favorite testing framework. Thank you, Patrick. Now, um, yeah, on with the show. Thanks. Hey, Brian. Hey. Is it fairly late at night where you are? That's ten. Not too bad. Okay. I know who you are, but introduce yourself anyway. Yeah, sure. So I'm Anthony. Anthony Shaw. I'm based in Sydney in Australia. And I, I work for a company called Dimension Data. I've been here for the last six years. And at the moment, I'm responsible for the, the developing the skills of all of our employees, uh, of which we have quite a few. There's about 30,000 uh, spread across 50 countries. Um, but I've only been doing this for the last year and a half. Before that, I was managing uh, software teams in our R&D division. And in previous roles, I guess I've kind of gone in, in technical roles, development roles, and also product product management. So uh, I'm also a bit of a Python enthusiast. So um, doing a lot of research on Python 3.7 at the moment, and also working on a a new Pluralsight course for 3.7 and the impacts of that. Well, that I'm looking forward to that. You just and then you just finished um, uh, just published like a Python two to three recently, right? Yeah, it's. A, I think it's the well. Somebody had already done one, uh, not on Pluralsight, but on I think it was Udemy. Um, but it focused a lot on the automated tools. Whereas uh, my course gives you a, a broad perspective that explains how to use the automated tools, as well as what's changed, what the approaches are, how to plan it, um, how to you know it's designed really for large applications. So if you've got a big app and you want to move it to Python 3, it kind of steps you through the approaches you, you might take, how to break it down, um, how to use automated testing, uh, and yeah, just a whole a whole gamut of different uh, ways to migrate to Python 3. That sounds great. Um, so you've been with Dimension Data for a while then? Yeah, but I've, I've done a few different roles, so um, that, that kind of keeps things interesting, and the role I'm doing at the moment, I absolutely love. So, you know, I get to spend a lot of time um, talking to people about their skills and their career. And, and also we've had a big focus on uh, Python over the last year and a half. We're trying to teach as many people as possible um, Python. So just within the company, uh, there's around 
I think it's about 3,000 of our employees um, over the last year and a half have decided to learn Python from scratch. Um, and there's a few reasons for that, but we've, we're a technology company. Um, we, we integrate different technology solutions together. Uh, some of that's hardware, some of it's cloud-based, um, and coding is becoming more and more a part of sysadmin life, as well as people who do integration, people who do deployments, uh, being able to use Python is not just the job of a developer anymore. It's it's almost like a skill that everybody needs to have, just as much as people know how to use Microsoft Excel for good or bad. <laughs> um, sometimes as a programming tool, but that's a separate issue. Yeah, that's a maintenance problem. Were you part of the push for Python, or was that already part of the company already when you came in? No, no, no. That's something uh, I kicked off about a year and a half ago. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Proved proved. Um, I guess that it was an investment we should make and then drove drove the program with some people on my team um, and been pushing that out. I think there's about 48 countries uh, have been on board with that now. So, yeah, it covers off really a lot of the um, a lot of the world. And it's, it's great to see as well when I travel um, people learning Python in all these different offices. Uh, we've got hundreds of offices all over the world. So, yeah, it's, it's great to see people picking up and learning code. It's not just engineers doing it as well. It's people in finance and uh, operations and some people in HR and our, our global CEO said he wants to learn Python now as well okay. um, because he's had, he's had so much about it. So yeah, that's been good. So are you teaching people how to test their code as well? <laughs> well, that's a, yeah, that's, um, that's interesting. So if, if people are starting from scratch, um, then I'd say as a beginner, you you do learn a lot about exploratory testing um, because you're not really sure how your application should behave or respond. So you, it's something you kind of build through a lot of the courses um, when you're learning to code is this kind of instinct to do exploratory testing. And yeah, something I think I thought maybe we could talk about today was um, agile teams in particular and, and DevOps and something I've blogged about in the past, but something I'm quite passionate about, which is really the impact that DevOps has had or an, an agile um, has had on software teams. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't see that the testing discipline has kept up as quickly um, necessarily as some of the other disciplines. Um, something maybe we can have a chat about because I'm sure you've got some opinions as well. Yeah. Um, um, before we get too into it, uh, just to, to define a couple of things, uh, because I know people come from all different backgrounds um, and buzzwords might mean different things to different people. So a couple of things you brought up is DevOps and Agile. So could we take a moment to define what, or at least quickly to elevator pitch, what are those? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm hoping there's no... Both of these, um, every definition I've ever heard can be criticized as being wrong, which means um, by default, either everyone is wrong or everyone is right. So I'm going to go with my <laughs> my understanding. So for of, you and your company. Yeah, sure. So for, for Agile, um, the, goal, the goal of Agile is to for, deliver value uh, in smaller increments. That's one of the goals. Um, so... Typically, for for a software project, what that looks like is, um, you know, a, a client would come to you with a requirement. You would go and detail all of the requirements up front. You would do all of the work. You would do all of the testing, and then you hand something over at the end. So that's 
what was typically done in a waterfall style and what you would learn through project management as being a waterfall project or a Prince2 project. And um, Agile, the, one of the ideas with Agile is that requirements change all the time. Uh, and also situations change, teams change. Um, so to keep up with all this change, if you break down what you deliver into smaller pieces, then actually the outcome is better. So you can deliver value quicker and you can adapt to change a lot faster. So that's broadly the principle of Agile. Um, and then there's different ways of doing Agile. So there's different practices like Scrum, for example, um, or Safe, which is what we what we use in our, in our organization. So Safe Agile is... Really? Yeah. Um, but when we have a what we call a release, uh, well, a, a PI planning, which is um, the, the Safe planning exercise, we have about 300 people fly to South Africa to attend a two-day uh, PI planning session. So it's it's a different level of scale than I've ever seen before. Um, but yeah, we, we do use SAFE. So it's really how you go from one Agile team to having multiple teams and then how you have multiple programs, all of which consist of multiple teams, all using Agile. So if you, what we found is that Agile works great in an individual level, but because you've got let's say 30 different teams all using agile coordinating across that is, is hugely complicated. And, that, and that's really where safe and um, bridges some of the gaps. So you've got like 30 different teams possibly working on a same, the same project, not necessarily the same project, but different aspects of a, of a project. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a lot of people. Okay. I, I yeah. get why that's uh, a different complication than, than I normally think about. I like the, the definition of agile is even just delivering value in smaller increments. That's uh, and then learning from it, doing a lot of learning. Uh, so DevOps, what is what does DevOps mean to your company? Hmm. So I see DevOps as being um, really bridging the gap between the the well delivering a, an application. And having a customer actually using the application is is normally two different processes. So what, what tended to happen before is that the software team would build uh, an application. If that was delivered as a service or if that's a desktop application, they'd say, okay, we're done. Here's our release. Here's our binary. Here's our you know, PIP package, for example. Now, that actually getting from there to the hands of a customer is often a different process. So... There's testing involved, operations get involved. For example, um, if you need to deploy that to servers, and that's that used to be a separate team. And because they were different processes, then those teams typically weren't aligned very well. So what would happen is, especially when Agile comes around. So with Agile, if you're working in, in Scrum and you work to, a, let's say, a two-week sprint, at the end of every sprint, the team delivers a new release. So... That's fine, but if you if the customer doesn't actually get the new piece of software every two weeks, then you haven't actually finished it. You know, it's actually got in to get into the hands of the client. Otherwise, it doesn't really count. So, if the operations is running in the old style, which is okay, we get all of our requirements up at once, and then we follow them through, and then we deliver something at the end, then the two processes get out of step. So, what's happened with DevOps is that development which is the dev and then operations which is the ops are basically trying to work more closely together in a new kind of function where automation is at the core of it so yes there are lots of tools in devops 
um, and they're aimed at basically keeping up with the delivery, uh, the rapid delivery of software components from an agile process and getting it out into the hands of a customer. Um, and there's lots of other impacts to that as well. Okay, so is DevOps like is are there DevOps people or are there developer developers and operations people that work together? <laughs> that depends on the that depends on the company. Okay, and um, and we're talking about uh, web deployments. Are you deploying web applications? Yeah, typically it is because if you've got an operations team, um, that that implies that there's something that you need to operate. There's some sort of service. So if you're doing if you're doing standalone desktop applications, I wouldn't imagine you would need a, a large DevOps team because you're not running hundreds of servers. Um, but if you're running something as a service, which more and more companies are doing, then you need to operate all that all those environments. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Okay. So testing in that. So what we we were trying to get back to is um, the role of uh, what were we going to do? The role of testing in all of this, and maybe it's broken. Yeah. Maybe it's not. Um, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily broken, but I think it needs to change. <laughs> so. Well, that's yeah. Isn't that part of like the uh, the continuous integration, continuous deployment uh, thing that we have a whole bunch of automated tests that just. Uh, give a gold star to our software and um and we can deploy it yes so if if you think about the whole the whole process so try and think of a fictional application here because obviously each of your listeners is probably working in a slightly different environment with different requirements so if you if you're delivering a simple web application that has a database that's probably the simplest example i can think of then the dev team would work on a feature and they would say okay the customer has just asked us for the ability to export the list of users as a excel spreadsheet let's say that's an example as a feature they want to add yeah. the, the team put that into a sprint they work on that they deliver it over two weeks and now it needs to get from where it is today into the production environment so that the customers can start using it so what is the role of the testing team or the tester on the agile team because in agile as well you typically have um, one or many testers in the team you don't have them as a separate team um, which keeps them keeps them in sync with the with the sprint so what's the role of a tester in that process do they just make sure that the application has been tested or do they actually make sure that the application get deployed into production successfully um and i think this has kind of been one of the challenges that i've seen where we've gone from a lot of manual testing um you know let's say seven eight years ago when automated testing was a lot harder than it is today you know we had a lot of people doing manual testing and so it, we then said, okay, okay, well, let, yeah. just pause for a second. So manual testing still isn't impossible. So in, in even in a in a deployment situation, you can what is typically typical. I'm guessing is typical is uh, software is delivered into a like a staging server or something, and then the testing team tests off of that until they give it the gold star, and then it can be pushed to uh, to the real server, right? Yeah. Okay. But but we want to automate that so that we don't have to wait that so long. Yeah, because it comes about blockers, and um, if if you think about all the different types of tests, and you've talked about this in your show before, it's you know 
uh, whether or not you like the testing pyramid, there are there are there's a whole range of different types of tests that you would need for an application. And the challenge is that in Agile, if you have a, what's a user story, which is in this case getting export to Excel. Now think about all the tests that have to be changed as part of the as that user story being finished. So let's say you've got load testing, um, you've got some security testing, you've got some UI testing, you might have um, accessibility testing as an example, uh, and you've built up as a tester all of those tests over the last couple of years. Now someone's just added a new feature. So how many of them are impacted by that new feature? And have you updated every single one of those tests with this new piece of functionality before the sprint or the story is actually marked as finished? Um, because what I found is that, that the way Agile is designed is that an individual person can work on and see through a story to its completion. And then the testing team at the end of the sprint um, or during the sprint tend to test the code. Now, what they tend to test is what's in their comfort zone, which is we've got lots of automated integration tests or we've got some automated performance tests. Maybe, you know, we check all of the unit tests against the, the CICD process and we know that we can deliver that component out. But when it actually comes to deploying things into production, if the application changes every two weeks, then the actual deployment process also changes. So what ended up being a blocker and has ended up being a blocker in many teams is the actual automated stuff not really working properly. So, you know, you've just added this new functionality, you've just added another database, and now the DevOps process, all the scripts that run all the deployments or the automation suddenly start failing because something has changed. And, and this is where I've seen the biggest gap has been that it's not really anyone's responsibility to, to, to test that stuff. Like it's not, you know, it's it's almost some teams say we've got DevOps people, but they typically come from a systems background. They don't come from a testing background. They don't have that testing discipline. And some of the code I've seen in scripts for deployments and automations in projects and open source or projects for organizations is some of the the, the worst code I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> it like it breaks like every software principle you can think of. Um, there's stuff hard coded, there's stuff copied and pasted, um, but it's seen as like it's seen as not critical code um, because it's just a script that automates this thing for me. It's not seen as part of the core application. But actually, it has just as big an impact if it doesn't work properly because you can't get stuff out. Oh. Like it, you just end up stuck. So you're, you're also talking about testing, not just testing your application, that there's 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 possibly problems with that. But there's also problems with testing the uh, DevOps scripts. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Oh, yeah. I think that's... A, but those are hard to test, right? I mean... They are really hard to test, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um and there's not really any tooling for testing them either there's not well, sure, um, no, but they've why not? yeah i mean what's in it's um can you manually test it mm, it's frustratingly slow um like if any of the listeners have ever uh for example used travis ci yeah. um which is a you know as, as a a service that's connected to GitHub, and whenever you commit changes to a branch in GitHub, it will go and run your tests in different Python environments. 
Now, if you've ever tried to change the configuration of Travis CI, it's a really frustrating process because you make one change to the YAML file, you check it in, you wait 15, 20 minutes to see if it works. Um, no, that wasn't the right syntax. You go back, you change it again. Uh, it's, it can be really frustrating because the, the consequences of it are take so long to see the impact. Um, and if you think that's just as Travis, whereas for a big project, then there actually being issues with the automation scripts that deploy the application can have a knock-on effect of hours or days in some cases um, because the deployment is can become so complicated. So why would it take days? Is there really that much steps? Some t- it depends what you've changed. I mean, um, let's say... You know, you know, Microsoft have uh, their Office 365 um, service, um, and and they claim that they do releases. What was it? You know, 200 times a day or something. They do a release in Office 365. Um, so, is there Microsoft's you know email as a service, Microsoft's instant messaging as a service? Um, all of their Office productivity applications are deployed in the cloud. As a, as a software service that you can subscribe to. And, and lots of companies do use Office 365. Now, Microsoft say that they do two, I think it was 200 deployments a, a day or something ridiculous um, to, the, to the cloud environment. Now, that's when things are not changing that much. But if they go and, I don't know, let's say launch a new data center uh, in the middle of Ohio, that's not going to take, you know, two minutes to, to deploy for the first time right um that's probably going to take a lot longer okay um and it's all those other other aspects i guess that that become become tricky yeah i, I don't know the, the answer uh, you're not really asking me though you're just pointing out that this is a problem <laughs> yeah i'm not asking you for an answer it's okay <laughs> uh, i don't think i haven't seen an answer like i've I've read a um, a couple of books on, so for example, uh, when we initially started rolling out Agile, um, reading reading a few books on um, Agile testing, and you know, okay, how how should you structure a testing team um, or testers within an Agile environment? And there were different schools of thought in in terms of how the, how this should be done. Um, one was that you have a sprint. And then the outcome of a sprint is almost is the release. And then the testing team works basically a sprint behind the development team. Doesn't that just sound just like waterfall to you? Um, or is that just me? Yeah, I can I can hear in the background all these agile people screaming into the night um, about how bad that is as a principle. Um, but in practicality, that's, that's what happens in a lot of teams because... Um, a lot of things come together on the last day in a sprint and it's, you know, it's te- in a, in a testing environment, you, you don't want things to be changing as you're testing them. Like that's, that makes it a lot harder to test something if people are still working on the code. Well, I, what happened to test first? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, well, I mean, you did the test first for, the developer. So if you, if you if you assume that all developers have got uh, a testing, first of all, I've got a responsibility to test as part of the development of a user story. So in in order for a user story to be finished, they need to have developed some level of testing to mark a story as done, 
And this is referred to as the definition of done sometimes in, in agile processes. So you have as a team, you agree, okay, you can't mark something as finished unless you have deployed it to staging, made sure that you've got a certain level and quality of unit tests, made sure that you've updated any integration testing requirements. Um, and let's say, for example, you've also um, run one of the security scans or the security checks on it, because that's also a, a big piece. Um, but that that then puts a lot of the responsibility of testing onto the developer. Right. And then where does the testing discipline come in there? Do you teach all of the testing discipline to all of the developers, or do you have people that specialize as testers? Both. I, th I think both is the answer. Uh, but I'm not, I'm in the minority here, but I'm, I'm just an outsider. Look, uh, I'm an insider looking at the rest of my discipline going, what the hell everybody. Um, so I, um, I don't know the, so there's, have you read uh, pragmatic programmer? I guess maybe, maybe it doesn't, no, I have not. maybe it doesn't matter if you have or not, but one of the, one of the ideas, so the, uh, is, uh, is, I, I think, I can't scrum has an, uh, a spike or something, right. Is, mm -hmm. uh, and a spike is like, uh, I'm not going to write tests for it. I'm just gonna, um, like play around with something and I'm not going to worry about corner cases or a whole bunch of, uh, error conditions. I'm just going to see if a technology works all the way from, from the top to the bottom. Um, and the pragmatic programmers, um, have an idea called the tracer bullet, which is similar, mm -hmm. which is, which is kind of like a happy path test, which means like for uh, the not really it's not necessarily a system test or a unit test, but it's like the thing I'm responsible for, like a happy path case, like all the way through um, from the whatever interface I'm programming to down to getting it done. And at least one one case works. And so that's the part where I think um those types of tests are good for uh, uh, for developers to do because they can they can use those for they can use those instead of doing uh, repetitive uh, uh, simple tests to make sure their stuff works. And then um, so if I think of it like a like a tracer bullet or a skeleton, so the uh, the developers build the scaffolding of of the test or the uh, the 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 trunk of the tree. And then a test team mm -hmm. can take it take it further and push out the corner cases and uh, and do uh, do more analysis for like uh, you know all of the use cases and making sure that all the all the corner cases are hit and all the the securities done and all that stuff. Um, mm. And I think that totally works in parallel to me. Um, I, I, because I'm, I'm still, I still like this idea of test first, this idea that testing can actually make developers faster if we get the tests done like right away. Like as soon as the developer says, yeah, this bit of the API, I'm pretty sure that this is solid. And so we write like a skeleton test through the system to make sure that works. And what I mean by through the system is, is, is different for every team. Like, um, I don't know if you, Anybody that's heard me talk about different levels of testing, I'm a proponent for really system level testing from the like API down to the hardware. Um, however, for most of the tests, however, this isn't practical for something like a a thirty team uh, project. But it is it is reasonable to say 
the software that is in my team's responsibility, um, that bit I'm going to treat as a, a clump and I'm going to, as a product in itself, and I'm going to test that as a system. Um, and I think that's the right way for developers to test. And then, so for, in, in your example, you were talking about test teams and um, either testers within an agile team or test teams. Now, mm. in a in a in an organization that has like all those te- like thirty different teams, or even a project that has ten teams on it, working on an individual project or an end user project, does is there one test team for that, or is there a test team uh, aligned with each development team? There's well, um, different different have been tested. Uh, we've 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 tried different approaches. We've tried having a tester in each team. Um, and we've had tried having a, a testing team uh, separately. Um, there were pros, pros and cons of both approaches. To be honest, one of the one of the challenges with um, with having a tester in each team is that um, you you have one individual who knows that application inside out, and if that person goes on, um, I don't know, leave, wants to go on holiday, for example, <laughs> then. Um, you know, you've got a, you've got a big challenge there. So, having them together in one team makes it easier to distribute uh, the all the load um, of the the workload basically amongst the different teams. Um, the issue is though that those you're, you're not having testers who are actually working on the same sprint cycles as the, the development team. So, what we kind of figured out as the best approach is almost having like a virtual team a virtual test team where the the testers sit within the agile teams and you then have someone who's also a secondary tester into that team so a, a, a good size team could be um you know eight to ten people as an example um for agile if, if teams get too large it gets uh the process is not as effective um so you can have a, a What's then called a scrum of scrums in the scrum methodology, where you've got multiple teams working together in the same in the same process. Um, but we, yeah, what we kind of found is that is virtual testing teams is, is effective, where you've got someone who uh, is the sort of the main tester for that team, and then someone else who can um, who can, who knows and understands the project well enough to help out when when needed and when things are busy. So um, that helped distribute the load a bit. But again, the challenge then, uh, so for me, um, managing my old role and, you know, trying to recruit people as an example into the team as testers um, is really difficult because, you know, if you, I mean, this is a dot, this is csharp.net as an example. um, And now I do a lot more, a lot more on the Python side. Um, But if you, if you, if you're hiring someone as, as QA, as a role, um, you know, you'll get a lot of. Um, a lot of people out there in the market who know just how to use Microsoft's test suite. Um, but then you put them in an agile DevOps environment and, and the tooling is just completely foreign. Um, so it was, it was really tricky to actually find people in the market who, who know how to work in an agile team and know how to automate a lot of their tests. Um, so if people out there are thinking about learning this stuff, I mean, it really, really helps your career because, um, yeah, people are, they're like gold dust at the moment to to find in the market. Is a tester at the same level with in respect and in pay as a developer? That's a really good question, and yes, is the answer. Um, that's when you take in all the requirements uh, that I just listed. Yeah. Uh, so that that was one of the 
that was definitely one of the things I noticed originally was when we were looking at manual testers, that would definitely not be the case. Um, just in the, in the Australian market anyway, I don't know. Um, I know the UK market a bit as well, but not the, the US market. But definitely the benchmarks I've seen and things like that would suggest uh, suggest similarly. Um, but yeah, for for an automated tester, then you would expect a similar level as a, as a developer of um, similar technical proficiency. I mean, it is software. So you're writing software to test some other software, but it is uh, it's a software development role. It's also uh, understanding how to look at a testing problem as well, right? Yeah. Where do you get a qualified testing person? It seems like it's just learned on the job or something. It's it's really it's actually quite hard to find as well. Um, you know, somebody's somebody's uh, CV or resume um, doesn't tell you whether they, you know, really buy into the testing discipline. Um, and I think this is one of the things that puts off developers from wanting to get into testing is that it's it's one of the perceptions is that it's a repetitive job. Right. And I think that actually that points to some of the stuff we've been talking about, which is if you're not automating the stuff that you're testing, then, yeah, it could be pretty automated. Like I, th I think about um, my first ever, I say job in air quotes, like I was, you know, 14 years old and it was um, two weeks of uh, placement as part of the school. Um, and I went to a technology company that made these crazy pieces of hardware and, and they gave me a testing uh job for a week you know that you would give to a 14 year old kid um which was just to push the buttons in sequence and to write down which ones turned the light on and which ones didn't um <laughs> and that's not really it <laughs> that's not really a testing job well i guess it is but it's um you know you could get you could get a robot to do that um now it you know i think a developer still to this day see testing as being quite a repetitive job um whereas it's really not like the discipline has changed i think the the tools have changed the approach has changed and now you're looking at a much broader spectrum of ways to improve the quality of of the application of the software that you're delivering so you're thinking about performance and load and all these things because you freed up time from you know by automating all the repetitive stuff um so once you've automated that then you can go right okay let's make our application perform better how does it perform right now? Where are the bottlenecks? Where's the issues? You know, we need to sort our security stance out. How are we going to test the security of the code? And and that's where, you know, good automated testers really demonstrate and prove all their value is by actually automating all the monotonous stuff and then actually working on all the high value stuff for the team, um, which is, you know, actually improving the quality of the thing we're delivering. Yeah, and the, the high value stuff that you just described um, sounds like the requirements of a system engineer with extra requirements on top of that so a lot of the testing uh philosophy and training is considering that there's a black box and a re and some requirements and um that's not real when we're integrating people into a development environment they can talk to people they can they can find out where the, where the where the little corner cases are within uh within the system that they really need to push on to make sure that they don't break um, mm. but one of the things I really liked is that you brought up the notion that exploratory testing, when you're doing some of these, uh, DevOps scripts, just trying them out, that is testing. It's not automated how to move from, uh, exploratory and manual testing 
to automated tests is a uh, is a different story. But um, we didn't really have an outline other than we were going to talk about DevOps and uh, testing. Where should we go now? Do you want to talk about PyTest for a minute? And that's a uh, favorite topic of yours. Oh, yeah. You've been involved with PyTest a bit. Yeah, I finally got my first contribution merged. <laughs> so I'm quite pleased with that. Yeah. So uh, tell me about that. So, um, yeah, I, I said I'm working on another Pluralsight course for Python 3.7. And one of the new features in Python 3.7 is that there's a new built-in breakpoint function. So currently in Python, uh, if you want to insert a breakpoint, um, you can import uh, a debugger like PDB, the, the built-in one, and you can call pdb.setTrace. Um, so a, probably a pretty familiar pattern to people is to just type import pdb semicolon pdb.setTrace whenever you want to stop the code and ex try and figure out what's going on um, if you can't reproduce something successfully in a, in a test. Um, now, what was outlined in 3.7 is that First of all, that's really, really unintuitive, <laughs> um, especially if you compare that with other applications. Like if you're learning JavaScript, for example, the way that you insert a breakpoint in Chrome, um, which is normally how you would, or one of the browsers is how you'd execute things, is you just click on the, the left-hand side of the script and it will insert a breakpoint. So, you know, for Python, I think it was a bit of a downside that it's harder to put breakpoints into code. So, what they proposed in 3.7 is that there's a new built-in function just called breakpoint. If you do nothing other than type breakpoint open and close parentheses, um, it will call PDB and it will um, do the same thing as PDB.setTrace. You can, as an environment variable, um, now actually say what you want the hook to be in 3.7. So if you use another debugger like PUDB, which is a just a nicer version of P PDB, um, then as an environment variable, you can set that as the, your default debugger. Then if you've left breakpoints in uh, your code, it will use that instead. You don't have to import the, the right one. Um, so I basically explained that in my module. And I thought, well, I've not actually written any code using the breakpoint function. Um, and you know, I kind of want to see how this works. And I thought, OK, let's see how it works in PyTest. And then I just found an issue in the PyTest um, project saying, oh, yeah, we need to support the breakpoint built in. And I just put my hand up and said, please, 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 can I do this? <laughs> um, and they said, yes. So I, I just built the functionality. So uh, PyTest will now support the built in breakpoint. Um, so PyTest has its own version of PDB because PDB doesn't really work very nicely inside PyTest. Um, You'll never actually know this um, unless you've read the PyTest source code because uh, it kind of happens in the background. Um, but when you when you run PDB, it you know asks you for commands so you can explore things. But PyTest actually overrides uh, the standard input um, and, the, and the keyboard terminal uh, for various reasons. But um, so they've basically got their own custom PDB, which is wrapped um, whenever you call PyTest. So the, the contribution I made is basically to make sure that if you call breakpoint, then it works nicely inside PyTest. Um, and also, if you run dash dash PDB um, on PyTest, then that works as it should do. Well, just to remind people, dash dash, what is dash dash PDB? That means if you've got a test failure, it pops open the, the, the uh, debugger. And what you're saying is um, if, if somebody has the 
uh, breakpoint and the environmental variable set to a different uh, editor, like a different uh, debugger, like PUDB, um, then PyTest will uh, um, correctly open the right one on a breakpoint then? Yes. Okay. Yes. So yeah, it was fun coding a contribution to PyTest. I learned a lot about some of the internals. I'd say 90% of the contribution was actually tests <laughs> um, and not actual um, you know, significant changes. So it was really... Um, uh, uh, ended up being quite complicated figuring out how to test PyTest from PyTest, if that makes any sense. That's one of the first things I learned about PyTest is how to test PyTest with PyTest. It's pretty interesting that they do that. And uh, there's this um, this ability to, uh, within a test, run another PyTest session. Most of the time was spent in testing, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and trying to figure out how to simulate different scenarios that might occur. Um, like people, well, first of all, people not having Python 3.7 in the first place. Um, or also assuming that in the future, PyPy3 might implement this feature. And then, yeah, I, I, I was really kind of paranoid about contributing to something um, that's used this frequently. <laughs> um, I can't imagine people would be very um, happy to see PyTest not behave the way they expected. So, yeah, I kind of went um, double, triple checked everything before I made changes. So how, how was the, um, since I want to try to encourage people to contribute to PyTest also, because uh, even though PyTest is used like by so many people, the team working on it is really not that big compared to yeah. other, I mean, to, compared to other software projects that are used that widely. More help is always needed. Uh, good experience. Would you do it again? Yeah, it was a, a great experience. Um, I mean, the team have been, was super helpful. Um, they do, uh, well, I don't know what the technical term is. It's informally known as um, helper commits where um someone called Bruno, um, who's one of the core developers on PyTest, um, actually committed stuff to my pull request um, to show me how it was supposed to be done. Um, so in particular, had had a few questions around how you should write a test to test PyTest itself in different scenarios. Um, and he you know, c committed to my pull request to actually f demonstrate and fix because uh, it was easier than just trying to explain it over comments. Um, but yeah, the, the thread is quite long. There's a lot of discussion. Um, the first thing I did is outline what I thought the behavior should be before I wrote any code um, and then tried to get some agreement. Okay, is this this is how you would expect it to behave? Um, once everyone has agreed, then, you know, started putting together the, the code um, and then writing, you know, tests to cover all the different scenarios. Um, but yeah, super easy to to, to get a pull request um, committed and, and in uh, for what it's Probably a little bit, a bit of a complicated change. Um, uh, so, you know, it was only a small change, but it, is, it had a few consequences. And this comes off the back of just um, contributing to the Tox, Tox project as well. Um, a couple of months ago, I, I committed something a bit more obscure, uh, but it was the ability to uh, basically write your own plugin um, to change the behavior about how it shows you what's in the environment. Um, which is the report function. So it's hard-coded at the moment to do uh, pip, pip freeze, I think, or pip show. And I just made that available as a plugin. Um, cool. We've talked about quite a few things. You, one of the things I want to talk about also is you write a lot. You uh, do quite a few Python articles on Medium, and I don't know if you write other places. Do you only write on Medium? 
Yeah, it's only on Medium at the moment. Um, and then I publish some of them on to some article sites like Hacker Noon. So it has quite a lot of developers and stuff read that. So yeah, it's just purely for purely for fun. This isn't part of your job role or anything. You just no, not in the slightest. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is something I just do when I'm um, bored or curious or both. Okay. Um, so yeah, I just kind of think, oh, I wonder how this works, and then just basically try and pick it apart and explain it to people uh i got nothing else man just uh thanks for coming on the show oh yeah it's been a great discussion thanks thanks brian